So if you could guess which topic Jesus spoke about the most in, in the Gospels, what would you guess? I'll give you a couple of choices. Prayer, faith, money and possessions, or hell. Because he spoke a lot about those things. So think in your mind, which one would you choose between those four? Because those are probably four of the top. So it might surprise you that the number one topic that is more than than all of those is uh, money and possessions. Jesus talked about money and possessions more than he talked about hell, prayer, faith, any of those topics. In fact, 16 of the 38 parables concern how to handle money and possessions, 16 of 38. In the Gospels, one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. That's the Bible. So the Bible has a lot to say about wealth and possessions. And the question is, well, why? Why so much on those things? And the answer is, is because Jesus said something very interesting. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's very easy for our hearts to get enamored with money and possessions. So he was trying to go and speak to our hearts. And so he went to where he would find our hearts, at the water water fountain of wealth, right? So this weekend, what I want to do is I want to look at two interesting people in the Gospel of Luke who had encounters with Jesus. And Jesus dealt with them in this area of money and possessions. And it's very interesting because they had very different responses to it. You'll know at least one of or both of these uh, stories, both these men. So I want to talk about them. So first off, turn to Luke 18. And we'll find the first, uh, first uh, person. Um, <coughs> we call him the rich ruler. Sometimes we call him the rich young ruler. And the reason we do that is because the different gospel accounts give a little different uh, version and a little different information about this person. Um, And uh, we're just going to read Luke's account, and then I will bring a couple observations from the other gospel accounts. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. And on page 851, you'll find the story of the rich, rich ruler. And uh, it's uh, chapter 18 of Luke in verse 18. We're going to start reading. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? Great question. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery, not murder. You should not steal. You should not uh, give false witness. Honor your father and mother. Now, notice all of these commandments, he's naming the the Ten Commandments, but all these commandments are the second section of the Ten Commandments. If you don't know this, the Ten Commandments are broken down about our relationship with God and then our relationship with others. These all have to do with our relationship with others that that he's talking about. So Jesus lists those commands, and the man says, all these I've, uh, since I was a boy, I've kept. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle <coughs> than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard, him, heard this asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, let me just make one comment about this eye of the needle, right? This camel through the eye of the needle. Some have said, well, there's a gate. It's called the camel's gate. And camels have to stoop down to go through the gate. That's not what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about? Exactly what you think he's talking about. Trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. And the expression that is used by Jesus is absolutely uh, you, it's absolute means the same thing today as it did when Jesus said it. You don't have to, it's, it's not any more difficult than it is. Jesus is saying, this is an impossibility. <laughs> okay, that's what he's saying. Well, what do we know about this man? We, we know he's rich, very rich. And we know he was young. We don't get that from this account, but another gospel account tells us that he was a young man. So he's, he's, Either he's inherited this wealth or he's very good at business and, and he's a wealthy, uh, he, he, he was some sort of a ruler. I don't think he was a religious ruler in the, like a Pharisee. Um, he was probably an influential civil, uh, civic leader. He was a respected lay person. Probably he was known for his piety. He was a good businessman. Um, he was a good man, and he had a great upstanding uh, reputation within the community. He was a good person. Um, interestingly enough, if you, you can write this reference down, Mark 10, 21, it says that Jesus loved him. By the way, when it says that Jesus loved him, it, it, it's interesting because this is quite the expression because this is a person, as we'll see, that when Jesus tells him, you need to sell everything you have and you need to come and follow me, he chooses not to. Jesus says, say, okay, that's it, I hate you. No, he doesn't. He says, I love you. Now, the first thing he says is, good teacher. And um, what he's probably doing there is, this is more than just a respectful address. He's probably trying to flatter Jesus and uh, schmooze him. If he's a businessman, you know how to do this, right? You know? <laughs> you call somebody doctor when they're not doctor, and you know, you, you, you do that stuff. And so he's kind of doing that. And Jesus will have none of it. He, he takes him to task with it. Um, what's interesting is Jesus points to him to what he doesn't even see in his own life. He points to the, the idol that he has in his life. Now, this man would say, I don't worship idols. I worship Almighty God. I worship Yahweh. But Jesus is going to show him that he has something in his life bigger than God, and it's his money. Why? Because from his money, he's finding satisfaction. He's finding security. Money brings security, doesn't it? It brings satisfaction to life. It, it brings significance because if you're rich, people say, well, you must be smart. You must be intelligent. You must be very good at something because, look, it, you have money and other, a lot of other people don't. So you must be special. What are some of the lessons we can learn from the rich young ruler? First, the love of mo money can change our focus. Now, let me be clear what I just said, because just as the Bible is misquoted, I don't want to be misquoted. The Bible doesn't condemn money. It condemns the love of money. And so the love of money can change our focus. Money can often produce a self-focus and a self-reliance. 
So we begin to rely more on money than we do on God. The focus on money causes us to focus on ourselves and not others. Uh, when you are stingy, when you're selfish, it's because you're looking out for yourself rather than others. When you're generous, you are looking out for the needs of others. You, so it all depends where your eyes are. So when you're stingy or selfish, you're generally looking out for yourself. When your eyes are on others, you generally tend to be more ge- uh, generous. Secondly, the interesting thing is Jesus doesn't negotiate with him. He doesn't say, um, well, give me half. You know, it's interesting. What Jesus says to him is, when you come to me, it's a stick-up. I want it all. Put your hands up. I'm taking it all. This is a robbery. You're going to give me everything. If you, if you want to follow me, you need to give everything to the poor, and you need to come follow me. You not, you not just give up your wealth. Give up your life. Start your life over with me. And by the way, that's, that call hasn't changed Jesus calls, makes the same call to each and every one of us today. He's saying, give me your life, everything, right now. Now, I believe that, um, and we'll talk more about this in a, in a few minutes, that everything that we have and everything we are is a gift from God. Your very pulse, your very breath is a gift of God. You are alive right now because God chooses through his sovereign will that you breathe and that your heart beats that he gives you life, but he doesn't just give you life. He gives you uh, possessions and wealth and (coughs) food and clothing and all those different things. Some of you may say, well, whoa, 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 time out. I go to work. I work hard. I save my money. Last time I checked, I paid. But God gave you the health to go to that job. God gave you the intelligence to do that job. All those things we don't attribute to God. We attribute to ourselves. But everything that you are and everything you have is a gift from God, and we we should never take that for granted. The second thing is, so, so the first one is love of money can change our focus. Secondly, Jesus wants it all now. And then number three, we learn from this story that religion can cause us to be blind to our spiritual state. The gaining of wealth is a very subtle thing. The, the more that you tend to gain wealth, the more you are rest, less reliant upon God. I remember when we were first married and we had our first few kids, it was like, how are we going to get food and how are we going to pay the bills? And what if the kids get sick? They can't get sick. Lord, don't let the kids get sick because we don't know what we're going to do if they do. And there was that reliance. But, you know, as, as we get, as your tends to be, as your life, you get, it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. You tend to not look to God so much. Don't worry, God, I got this one, right? I don't think that's a good thing. This is really where the man got hit. Religion can cause you to be blind to your own spiritual state. Here's what religion does and being religious does. Religion, and this is kind of what this man was doing. This man was coming to him and says, well, how do I inherit internal? What have I, what have, have I forgotten anything? Here's my list. It's, here's my resume. So instead of waiting until he's dead and saying, here's my resume, he says, okay, I've got my resume take a look at it so that I know I'm good to go and I need to add anything, little, you know, little things here, tweak a few things here. And Jesus would have none of it. He says, rip it up. Rip it up and throw it away. Come and follow me. Because religion causes us to believe I'm all right. But what was Jesus, you know, essentially what the man was saying is I'm, I'm okay. 
I'm all right. And Jesus says, no, you're not. The man thought it was, everything was okay, but it wasn't. Now, for some, like this man, money had become an idol for him. He was totally reliant upon uh, on money. The man's spiritual idolatry was money. Now, yours doesn't necessarily have to be money. Uh, our idol can be different. It could be relationships. It could be career. It could be the need for acceptance. All those things could be what drives us, what motivates us, what moves us, what we're desperate for. But the story ends very sadly because the man realized how wealthy it was and he realized that he had to give it away and change his whole reliance system and change his whole status system and follow Jesus. And he didn't know whether he could trust Jesus with his life. And that's the struggle that many of us have, isn't it? Not just when we come to Jesus in the first time, but on a daily basis. Jesus, can I trust you with my health? Can I trust you with this relationship? Can I trust you with a job? Can I trust you with food and clothing and shelter? Can I trust you with my kids? Can I trust you with those things? He said, I don't know, Jesus, if I can trust you. And it says, the man walked away sad sad. So that's the first man. Let's look at the second one. The second one is a story that we read to our little grandson, Jeremiah, when he was here a week ago, a little over a week ago. And it's about a a diminutive, small tax collector. And turn over to the next chapter, chapter 19, and uh, page 852, and verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing, as he was, and was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was also wealthy. He wanted, <coughs> he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, let me just contrast Zacchaeus with this rich young ruler. What we know about the rich young ruler is there's nothing about his character. There's nothing about his, how he gained his wealth as being... Um, illegitimate or wrong or anything else. He, he is seen as a man of a good character and high standing. Not so with Nicodemus, or not so with uh, Zacharias. He was the chief tax collector and he was wealthy. We'll talk about how he got that wealth in a minute. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. <laughs> so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, uh, when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, Lord, um, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, <coughs> Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That phrase, I love the end of the story. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What do we know about Zacchaeus? 
was probably hated by his neighbors. Um, the Romans, when they took over a city, they would find someone who would uh, collect the taxes. They wanted somebody who was of the same country, you know. So in you know in these Jewish uh, communities, they wanted a Jewish person to to collect the tax. Why? Because they would know the city well. They would be um, they would know the different people, and they would. They would be savvy to what's going on. They would be savvy to the culture. Their ears would be on the ground, and they would know what's going on. So they would be in charge of collecting the tax. They would be required to collect so much for the Romans. And then, but, but then, if they got more, uh, then they could, uh, they could keep it. And they had power because they could say that somebody didn't pay and it was their word against the others, and essentially they were go. And he wasn't just a tax collector; he was a chief tax collector. So there, it was a, it was an opportunity for corruption, and many tax collectors uh, basically stole money from their own people. So you can understand why they were hated. They were hated, and it's so Jesus is walking. Down the road one day, Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. He's too short to see over the crowd. Imagine he's probably trying to get through the crowd, and people know who he is and what he wants to do, and they say, uh-uh, you ain't getting through here. You know, because if he stood in front, they could see over him, but they don't even want him through the crowd. So he goes and he climbs up on a tree. <coughs> and... Uh, he sees, he wants to see Jesus. That's all he wants. He just wants to see Jesus. He's not going to dialogue with him. He's not like the, the other rich young ruler. He's just going to watch. He just wants to see Jesus coming. And before he knows it, Jesus looks up to him, sees him in the tree, calls him by name, and tells him to come down because he's going to his house, not just to eat, but to stay. Let's imagine that Jesus invites himself to his house, right? He not only notices him, but he invites himself. Now, to the people around, and you saw the reaction, it was a scandalous thing for Jesus to be eating and drinking with sinners and to stay with sinners. This was a, a scandalous thing to do. Um, so we see that Jesus has table fellowship with uh, Zacchaeus. And that he invites himself to eat and drink and to be with Zacchaeus before he even knows who Zacchaeus is or had it, you know, it's not like they've had this relation, ongoing relationship. This is brand new. Notice uh, Zacchaeus, after he sits down with Jesus and spends time with Jesus, he makes a declaration that he's going to repay all that he has stolen. And that's really essentially what he's done. He's stolen the money. And it's interesting because when you see the rich young ruler and Jesus says, if you want to follow me, this is the requirement. And the rich young ruler saw that as something he had to do. And he said, but I don't want to do it. Now Zacchaeus, Jesus has said nothing about what he needs to do with his wealth. He doesn't say, okay, Zacchaeus, before you come to me, before we can have this this ongoing relationship, if you really want to be right with God, you need to 
you need to make things right with the people that you've, you've taken extra money and things along. No, 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 no. Zacchaeus came up with the idea. It's almost like a, somebody has said it's almost like your, your little son or daughter when they do something that they're very proud of. They say, Daddy, Daddy, look, look what I'm doing. And it, it, it's a good thing. And you say, well, that's great. It's, it's almost like that's the, the attitude that he has. Look what I'm doing. Not to, for the praise of the Father. He's just very excited about doing it. So Zacchaeus didn't give the money back because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. Zacchaeus didn't become generous because Jesus commanded him. He became generous because he wanted to be generous. He did a 180 on his money. See, money became a way for him to have power and have position and all those different things. But he gladly gave it away without Jesus even asking. What do we learn from Zacchaeus, the diminutive uh, tax collector? Number one, <clears throat> religion is not the gospel. And, and there's a lot of people in this community that are practicing religion and they don't get the gospel. Um, and there's some people who have gotten the gospel at one time and now they're practicing religion. Jesus makes this request before Zacchaeus had a chance to clean up his life. When he invites himself over to have fellowship with him, he doesn't say, Zacchaeus, there's a couple things that have to change before you're going to, to do this. Now, notice the, the rich young ruler, Jesus basically says, you know, he thinks religion, he's you know, dotting, checking off, you know, underlying, everything's perfect. He's following the rules. And uh, Jesus says, well, we're going to break that all up to pieces. If you want to come follow me, come follow me. But get rid of all this. Zacchaeus has no rules. <laughs> He's lawless. And Jesus comes to him and just begins to have a relationship with him. And all of a sudden, this guy, who's kind of morally challenged, begins to become moral. Not because Jesus says, you need to become moral if you want to have a relationship with me. Because he has a relationship with Jesus, he begins to become moral. The point I want you to see is that religion says change your life, clean up your life, and then God will accept you. The gospel says that God offered his son, Jesus Christ, and he accepts you because of what Jesus did. And in light of that invitation, As we begin our journey together, we'll change together. I'll change you, and we'll work on it together. That's the difference between having a religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's interesting, too, that the rich young ruler wanted to have uh, uh, kind of the rules and the religion c c clarified, but he didn't want to have a relationship with Jesus. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, didn't really know what the rules and regulations were, but he wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. He wanted to try to get through the crowd, but he couldn't. He climbed up a tree, sought after Jesus. That's what he wanted. Number two, repentance is demonstrated by our actions. Uh, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. There's a difference between remorse and repentance. I won't go into it. But Zacchaeus gives Jesus and tell him, In the text, we don't see any hint that Jesus is giving him instruction. Jesus gave 50% to the poor and 40%, excuse me. So let me just stop there for a minute. Interestingly enough, because 
wealth was such a big thing in the rich young ruler, Jesus says, you need to get rid of this because until we clear the slate, we can't. You've got to get rid of this other God. You have another, no other gods before me. And this money and, and possessions, this is a God for you. And Zacchaeus, he says, I gave 50% of my wealth. Well, if he's wealthy and he gives 50% away, he's still pretty wealthy, right? So he's not giving it all away. But the other thing he says, he gave, he made, if he stole from people, if he took too much, he says, I'll make 400% restitution from those he defrauded. So he began to give joyfully, not grudgingly. Money had lost its hold on him, and he was a new man because he had a new Lord. And that's really what should change. When we come to Jesus, it should change our hearts in the area of money and possessions. When you get the freedom from money, um, things change. The third thing we see is that Jesus invited both men, the rich young ruler and uh, Zacchaeus, uh, on an adventure. Right? Isn't that what he did with the, with the rich young ruler? He says, he says, sell everything. We're going on an adventure. You and I are going on a journey. Come follow me. Give me your life and follow me and you, you will never regret it. There's many of us in the audience this weekend that could raise our hands and said, I began a journey with Jesus and I've never regretted giving my life to him. Never regretted it. The only thing I regret is that I didn't do it sooner. But this man, when he was given the op- option to follow Jesus, to go on a, an adventure, a journey with Jesus, he said, no. See, what, we tend, what that man was doing is, what are the rules? What are the rules? What must I do? And Jesus says, no, I'm inviting you on an adventure. I'm inviting you on a journey. I want to be with you. See, when you get the freedom from money through an experience of grace, it will change your inner core as a person. Jesus said to both men, follow me, come with me, join my adventure, be part of who I am. One side note. We always get caught up in, well, how much and what should we do and all these other things. And I understand all of that. But God measures our generosity not by the size of our gift, but the size of our sacrifice. For some people, giving a lot of money is not a big sacrifice. For other people, giving just a little bit is a huge, huge sacrifice. I mean, Jesus (coughs) talked about the woman at the temple, and everybody was going about their business and and all of have you ever had those moments where some you're in a group and all of a sudden somebody says somebody says did you see that and you go no what I missed it and then they point it out and go oh man I wish I had seen that and then Jesus had one of those moments at the temple and all of a sudden the disciples and that they're talking and you know Jesus says did you see that and and they, the disciples go well no well what what did we miss that woman put in two coins she gave everything she had. And, he, and basically what he said to his disciples is, she gave more than anyone else today. She gave all she had. There were many that put a lot more money in than that. It was not much money, but it was all she had. So it's not how much you give. It's uh, the size of your sacrifice. And here's, here's what I want you to see. If you think it's ridiculous, you know, because 
the, the, the conversation, this is, this is and, and every one of us is in a different place. I get that with money and possessions and stuff. I get that. But there has to be a point where we, 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 we wrestle with it. And we say, God, um, what do you want me to do with my money? Because he's, to the young, rich young ruler, he says, you need to give it all away. To Zacchaeus, he didn't say anything. But Zacchaeus said, I, I need to do this. He had an impression that he needed to do that. Now, that could have changed over time. Who knows? But in our lives, uh, and Scripture does give us a little bit of direction, but God says to us, um, <coughs> everything you are, everything you have is a gift from me. Uh, I'm, I'm generous. Uh, your, your pulse, your breath, your possessions, your family, your car, your house, everything is not yours. It's mine. You're just a steward. One day you're going to be held accountable for everything I've given you. Your life, your time, your talent, your money, your treasure, your possessions, your kids, everything. You're going to be held accountable. And there's a parable about that in the Bible. But if you think it's ridiculous to even talk about giving away 10%, 20%, or even 50% of your income every year, you haven't understood the gospel. You're thinking like a religious person. What great thing do I need to do, do I have to do in the realm of money so God will bless me? In other words, you ask the question from, as, as the rich young ruler that says, okay, what do I need to do? What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the requirement? What's the law say? Jesus says, well, if you have to ask it that way, you're not getting it. You're not getting the gospel. You're not getting grace. Zacchaeus was different. Zacchaeus just... just said, I need to do this. I'm compelled to do this. And he, he didn't do it grudgingly. He didn't do it because he had to. He didn't do it because Jesus laid some legalistic law or rule on him. He did it because it was the right thing to do. And he cheerfully celebrated doing it. It wasn't a burden for him. He went from somebody who was stealing from people to somebody who was sacrificing and giving to people. So the question sometimes we ask is, how much should I give away? And the answer is, you ask Jesus, and he will help you come up with the perfect plan. Zacchaeus basically said, here's my plan. And Jesus says, I like it. Salvation has come to this house today. You have seen what I'm looking for. You get what it means to be one of my followers. You, you are understanding the power that money has played in your life, and you're, you're getting that. You're, you're, you're understanding that now. And my guess is he became a different tax collector after that encounter with Jesus. It was a different Zacchaeus that you dealt with after that day. The point is, when you climb up the tree, you're going to see Jesus. And when you climb up the tree, you see Jesus becoming poor for us, for your sake. Now, there's an interesting comparison when you compare Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus really deserved to be, um, you know, despised by the people. I mean, he essentially was stealing money from them and making their life uh, hard. These aren't people who are wealthy that he's stealing from. These are people who need every penny. 
Jesus was despised even, though he, despised even though he did nothing to deserve it. He was despised and rejected, the Bible says, for our sake. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus, Zacchaeus, come down. Today is the day that you're going to be set free. Jesus climbed the tree of trees, the cross, and hung there for you and for me. Deuteronomy says in Deuteronomy 21, 23, Cursed, that means despised, is anyone who is hung on a tree. He was despised for us. Jesus took our place on a tree so that we could be free, so that we could be forgiven, so we could be saved. Now, some of you will get this teaching on money, and you're going to respond like Zacchaeus. You're not going to say, God, now what do you want me to do? Now what, what good thing must I do now? What more do I need to do now? You'll respond and you'll say, you gave everything for me and everything that I have and everything that I am is a gift from you. Now let's talk about what I can do with the resources that you've entrusted into my care for your kingdom. How can I invest them? Some of you will respond like that. Some of you may respond like the rich young ruler who see it as a very legalistic thing, who see it as a real burden, who don't understand grace, and you will walk away sad. I pray that these two men will leave an impression on you and that you'll see that two rich men, one who gained his wealth in a good way, and was a very good person, very religious, very nice. And another person who gained his wealth in a very bad way. Both had encounters with Jesus. But only one. Only one found salvation. Only one found life. Only one was set free from the power and, and the pull that money and possessions can bring in your life. And I pray that there'll be a lesson that God's Spirit would bring to your heart this weekend for that.